Reflections of Infamy. The first people to arrive, about 45 minutes early were Detective Inspector Perkins and Detective Sergeant Linton. I greeted them warmly as I had come to respect their professionalism and although my first meeting with the D.I. had been difficult I found myself liking her as a person. The obvious respect that Kate held her in did a lot to advise my new appreciation. And Perkins was a good cop who was dedicated to her job. She had an interesting face and I wondered if she would sit for a portrait when the case was over. You never knew it might just improve her opinions about artists. Is there anything new about the break-in at my friend's clinic inspector? I asked as I gave her a coffee. She looked at me appraisingly then nodded, as the killer was in a panic after he triggered the alarm, I thought he might have headed initially for somewhere where he could hide in a crowd. The nearest such place is a 24-hour supermarket. On an off chance I got several community support officers to go round the car park. In a row of ornamental shrubs one of them found the remains of the data stick that had been cut up using some kind of heavy cutters. We have sent an officer to get a copy of their camera record but as I know that they continually reuse the same media I'm worried about the quality. Have you anything to add that you haven't already told Kate? Nothing I can think of. I said apologetically. Last night we had Morgan Del Keith followed as he left the village and turned east. To our chagrin our driver got caught behind a caravan and we lost contact with Mr. Del Keith near Morecambe Blake. Although only a few minutes behind, by the time he got round the obstruction, he was unable to re-establish contact. We are not sure when Mr. Del Keith returned home as he did not seem to go past our observer just outside the town. I might be able to explain that at least. It's not unknown for some of our villains to drive towards Chidiac and park up just on the edge of a state land. They then walk down to the pub and spend the evening drinking more than they should. They then drive home over the estate tracks thus avoiding the public roads except for a few short stretches. So, we don't know whether he cannily drove to Chidiac for a few drinks or went to Bournemouth. We can clear the point up by asking if he was in the pub, but for all I know he has a mistress at Seatown. So, it probably comes down to either the showing or the sub-postmistress to give us an early lead, D.I. Perkins grimaced. I rather think we are going to have to do this the old-fashioned, painstaking way. It's great police work but unfortunately the media tend to get rather impatient. You'll catch him. I said reassuringly. I know I will. She replied, then continued with a touch of candor, I've not always been the nicest person to work with and quite a few people would like me to foul up. At D.I. Perkins' request I ran through the presentation again although we failed to spot anything meaningful. At 20 to 3 Lady Jacqueline arrived with Anne Vaughan. I greeted our patron while her daughter went directly to the refreshment table and started socializing with a couple of other members who had arrived just after them. I showed Lady Jacqueline our new system and then walked her through our plans for an extended exhibition. She was very taken by the charm of goldfinches, and I knew that she would soon be commissioning a work from William Truesdale. Thinking about the marvelous proportions of the manor's entry hall I decided to recommend that he thought quite big when doing his initial sketches. Do you know when David is likely to arrive? I asked Lady Jacqueline as I escorted her to the refreshment table. He's been held up by roadworks on the M3. He phoned from the services near Southampton when he got on the M27 to say he'd stopped for a quick break and might be a bit late. That's a pity as I want to ask if he knows of any good sound and vision experts who can advise us on our proposed display. I like the sound of your plans, a moving sky, the sound of birdsong and those amazing sculptures. Anything I can do to help you need only ask. Thank you, Lady Jacqueline, that's most generous. As we walked past our artist's material display, she stiffened slightly, and I saw her go white. What's wrong, I asked with sudden concern. When I spoke to David, he told me that the brushes found at the murder scenes might have been purchased here. 
the ones the killer left on my table looked remarkably like our stock. I replied with a shudder of my own. I fetched a glass of wine for Lady Jacqueline and indulged in conversation with the other members of the cooperative. Just after three Horace Palmer and Richard Fennell entered the gallery. I asked Elizabeth to show Lady Jacqueline to the middle of the front row and joined our new guests. Excuse me everyone, we'll be starting in a few minutes if you'd like to take a seat. For the next ten minutes Elizabeth and I ushered cooperative members away from the free drinks and dealt with latecomers but eventually everyone was settled. Whoever thought up that old adage about hurting cats has never attempted to organize artists. Once everybody was settled, I walked to the front of the room and turned to face my friends and colleagues. I cleared my throat and started to speak. We invited you all to see our wonderful new computer system that Lady Jacqueline has generously purchased to replace the one that was stolen and then destroyed on Thursday last. As you can see, we are now able to do video installations and run slideshows of photographic work that will expand the gallery's capabilities quite markedly. Should we want to we can run two videos simultaneously so I trust that you will be providing us with some worthy creations very soon. I will be demonstrating our new capabilities in a few minutes but before we do that Mr. Palmer will speak to you. Apparently, Gregory Adams stipulated that he wanted his will read before his friends and colleagues in the cooperative. Mr. Palmer strode to the front and puffed himself up like a self-important starling. Once he was sure of our undivided attention, he drew a manila envelope out of his inside pocket and extracted a document. With a final quick adjustment of his glasses, he began reading. I, Gregory Adams, being of sound mind declare this to be my last will and testament. I have asked that my good friends Howard Palmer and Mark Bulmer act as my executors. I intend my will to be a simple document and to that end have limited it to the following simple provisions. To my half-brother, Richard Fennell, I leave the sum in sterling that equates to $5,000 at the closing exchange rate on the day of my death. This is in full and final settlement of the debt which he, wrongly, claims I owe him. This bequest is dependent on the said Richard Fennell foregoing any and all other claims he might make on my estate. To Morgan Dalkeith I leave the shield that was awarded to me for winning Britain's best wall art. I have asked for this will to be read publicly so that everyone will know that I unfairly stole the commission for this mural from Morgan by falsely misrepresenting him to the school in question. Not only that, but I plagiarized his design and presented it as my own. Furthermore, I direct that the prepared statement I have left with Mr. Palmer be circulated to the various news organizations. There was a gasp from several members of the cooperative at this revelation and looking round I saw Morgan surreptitiously wiping his eyes. Richard Fennell who was standing at the back was white-faced and clearly very angry. Mr. Palmer waited until we were silent and went back to his reading. I have listed my funeral arrangements in a separate document and asked my executors to use my estate to pay for these arrangements. The balance of my possessions I leave to the Chidiac Whitchurch Artists Cooperative to dispose of as they wish with the one proviso that they ensure that any pets I have at the time of my death are looked after for the rest of their natural lives. This concludes Gregory Adams' last will and testament. Mr. Palmer folded up the will and addressed us once more, I would like to arrange a meeting with the cooperative trustees as soon as possible to deal with the practical matters arising from this will. Please make the arrangements through my secretary. This is monstrous. Richard Fennell shouted, while striding purposefully for the exit. I wouldn't spend anything until we hear what a judge says about this so-called will. May, I have a moment please? There was no mistaking Morgan's deep and booming voice. Although I am very grateful for Gregory's kind words, I note that he kept the prize money. However, I am vindicated so in a spirit of forgiveness can I suggest that whatever we do we set up a memorial to Gregory. Some type of fun to help young artists. He would like that, and I think it would be fitting. 
There was a moment of silence then first one and then several more of the cooperative started clapping until the whole room was applauding the big man's suggestion. I tried to restore order but seeing that my audience were all desperate to talk about the implications of the will I called for a 15-minute break instead. I was walking over to talk to the police officers when the gallery door opened again, and a woman backed in pulling a wheelchair after her. Once clear of the door she turned round, and I recognized Sally Whedon pushing her husband in the chair. Brian had his right arm and leg in plaster casts. What happened Sally? I asked. We were on holiday in Pembrokeshire. Last Wednesday my hero decided that he wanted to climb a tree to take a photograph from the top. He was leaning out lining up the perfect shot when he slipped. Sally sounded exasperated, so I spent some of my break waiting for the air ambulance, then I enjoyed the thrills of a casualty department. Then joy of joys I've been pushing this lump around and if you haven't noticed that part of Wales isn't exactly flat. At least you got some healthy exercise. Elizabeth smiled at the other woman, you could have been sitting on a beach doing nothing. I'm going to be doing something positive now, Sally paused for effect. My husband is just starting a very comprehensive diet. Brian groaned theatrically but smiled with obvious affection at his wife. I struck me that another of our suspects had just been ruled out, without us getting closer to the killer. Or was that actually the case? Something tugged at my mind, but I couldn't hold on to the thought. At the end of the break, I went back to the front of the room and finding my audience more manageable succeeded in getting everyone's attention. You will all have heard that Gregory's killer attempted to destroy all his work. The detective inspector here believes that he intended to cover up something incriminating in one of Gregory's paintings. What you don't know is that we have managed to save digital copies of his work and they will form the basis of this afternoon's demonstration. I waited to the resulting murmur of conversation to die down. If you see anything at all odd in any of the pictures, I paused as some laughter came from my audience, well odder than Gregory's normal work that is. Anything in fact that may suggest why he was murdered could you please inform either Detective Inspector Perkins or Detective Sergeant Linton. With no more ado, I give you the genius that was Gregory Adams. I pushed the remote control and the show started with the musical extravaganza inspired Unasiette de Fred Astaire with its lines of dancing prawns and top hats and tails. Many of Gregory's paintings were originals but he also did humorous interpretations of great classical works such as his cephalopod based The Mona Squid or my favorite The Vitruvian Lobster. We must have viewed nearly 60 pieces of his work without anyone noticing anything out of the ordinary. Thank you for your assistance, ladies and gentlemen, D.I. Perkins spoke as the slideshow ended. Did anyone notice anything? A chorus of negative comments swept round the gallery. Obviously disappointed the D.I. had one last attempt. Gregory Adams' last words mentioned something being in the teapot. Does this mean anything to anyone? No one was able to volunteer any sensible suggestions so. D.I. Perkins thanked everybody for their time. There was a tangible feeling of anticlimax as we had all hoped to see the clue that would nail Gregory's killer. The gathering was about to break up when Lady Jacqueline asked if it would be possible to have a preview of Gregory's new art book. When your major patron makes a request like that it is of course possible to accede to her wishes. I pressed the right buttons on the remote control and the screen showed a conventional Windows display and I selected the correct file. Gregory personally designed the cover from a detail of his painting An Afternoon in Weymouth because he felt that it summarized his style and sense of humor. I addressed the group as I pushed the button on the remote. On the screen we saw the art book's cover, something I had only really glanced at when I checked that the text was correct. The detail that Gregory had chosen showed two prawns, one dressed as an Edwardian lady the other in a gentleman's casual clothing of the period sitting at a table sharing afternoon tea while round the modern-day humans went about their business. Suddenly Anne Vaughan sat bolt upright in her chair and gasped. 
What is it? D.I. Perkins asked. I'm not sure, and turned to me. Can you zoom in on the teapot? Teapot. Between the prawns was an octagonal silver teapot. After one false start I quickly zoomed into the required part of the painting. There, clearly reflected in the metal, was a miniature, executed with an almost photographic clarity, of David Vaughan in a tender embrace with a woman who most definitely wasn't Anne. Immediately below the teapot Gregory had signed and dated the painting with last month's date. I realized that even from beyond the grave Gregory was still mocking David Vaughan. That woman, she's Mary Slater, Anne's voice was harsh as she leapt to her feet. The lying cad, he promised he would stop seeing her when I caught him out. I swore that if he didn't finish with his mistress I would divorce him, and I'm going to keep that promise. To describe the room as being in pandemonium perhaps gives a good idea of the situation with everyone talking at once. In the background I heard a car start up and pull away. You'd better do that now my dear, provided that David has been cheating on you. Lady Jacqueline also standing placed a comforting hand on her daughter's shoulder. But please remember that Gregory always used to like pulling David's nose and it would be just like him to remind everyone of David's indiscretion and so cause him embarrassment. Can't you see him watching you flare up when you got the book and then when the mischief was at its height admitting to his little joke? What you should do, if you believe that he's gone back to his old ways is have someone check out his actions. David is an intelligent man he knows that I will cut him out of my will if he strays again but from what I can see he is a changed man, and we will give him the benefit of the doubt. Your estate, do you mind me asking how much it's worth? Detective Inspector Perkins asked respectfully. It's no secret, seeing that I get an income based on the earnings of the Chidiac Witchurch estate, that I am worth quite a few millions. Lady Jacqueline said simply. And this woman? Her name is Mary Slater, she lives somewhere in Bridport. Anne was almost incandescent with rage. Road works on the M3 I don't think. You will probably find my lying husband in her arms right now. Matthew, Will you radio control and arrange for someone to contact David Vaughn? I would like to have a few words with him. But he can't be the killer, Elizabeth exclaimed. He was in the car park showing John a painting when the killer phoned me. I tend to agree but there is Gregory's cryptic reference to a teapot. D.I. Perkins smiled coldly. David Vaughn does have a motive for murder and the quicker I can eliminate him from my inquiries the better. The gathering broke up quite slowly with everyone having some pet theory about David Vaughn's alleged affair. They ranged from the hard line he cheated on his wife, he's capable of everything to the disbelieving he wouldn't do anything nasty, he's a good man. I noticed though that most of the people present were definitely in the pro-David Vaughn camp. At last, however, everyone except the detectives and us had left the gallery. D.I. Perkins accepted my offer of a coffee and sat on one of good chairs. What do you think? I asked her, it might help to run your thoughts past us as we know these people and we've already proved that we can be discreet. I do want to talk to David Vaughn but mainly for elimination purposes. Although adultery might be enough of a motivation for murder in some cases I don't think Mr. Vaughn is the type. Anyway, as you said there are several times when the killer has acted when we know Mr. Vaughn has an alibi. In part he does fit my profile because I am convinced that whoever did the murder has been using the estate's master keys to let themselves into buildings owned by the estate. A theory that is strengthened by the murder of Roger Clark and the break-in at your friend's clinic. The estate is rather lax on security so practically anyone who's ever been alone in the office could have borrowed the keys. We have no real evidence of adultery on David Vaughn's part. Just because Gregory Adams painted that embrace and provided a date does not constitute evidence that would stand up in any court, as we know two facts. Firstly, Gregory Adams painted from photographs and this picture could date from before the affair was first discovered by his wife. Secondly, we know that Gregory Adams took great pleasure in taunting David Vaughn 
and this could be just another practical joke. Even if this painting should be proof of current infidelity, I don't really see it as a reason for murder. During my inquiries about this town, I've learnt that Mr. Vaughn was thrown out when his earlier affair was discovered but has rehabilitated himself with his wife and formidable mother-in-law. My sources tell me that in the last few years he has changed and is now quite well liked in this town so his wife, who seems to love him greatly, would find plenty of advocates on his behalf. Mr. Vaughn is a successful barrister so he would be able to weather a divorce without any problems. Even though a prenuptial arrangement exists I am absolutely certain that he would end up with a London property. Unless his wife can find concrete evidence of an affair, and I believe David Vaughn to be a careful man, I foresee, at worst, a short separation followed by business as usual. I had quite high hopes for this afternoon but if there was a clue it was either too subtle for me or the killer has actually managed to destroy the critical evidence. What about Mrs. Taylor? I asked. I spoke to your sub-postmistress, and she couldn't remember who exactly she told about you sending a present to your ex-girlfriend, something small, maybe jewelry and you having been seen hand in hand with Miss Reynolds too. Ever since you found the body you've become a focus for the local gossip mill. A good-looking man who lives alone is an offense to some people. She laughed delightedly, Mrs. Taylor says that a bevy of local old women were speculating, on whether you were intending to cheat on Elizabeth. A Mrs. May had just stated that there's nothing he wouldn't stoop to, and infidelity is in all their natures when Mr. Vaughn, who was in the shop, rounded on them and told them their collective fortunes and that you weren't the type to cheat on Miss Reynolds. D.I. Perkins stretched her legs out and continued, I expect that when she visited you neither of you made a secret of the fact that she was a vet. People must know that you came from Bournemouth and Mrs. Taylor cheerfully admits that she broke confidentiality by mentioning the name Victoria. It wasn't on the envelope but as soon as she saw the initial, she remembered your friend. I think that the post office lead is hopeless we are going to have to do this the old-fashioned way, patiently putting the pieces in order. Kate will have to stay with you a bit longer because, frankly, another attempt on you or Elizabeth are my best hope for an early breakthrough. I'd like to interview you again to see if you can shed any further light on this problem. There may be something important that you don't know that you know. No problem, anything I can do to help I will. I thought for a moment, would tomorrow afternoon be soon enough? Perfect Mr. Courtney, I'll send a car for you at 2. Copyright 2014 Robert M. War, All Original Rights Reserved. Mm-hmm.